I started my journey from the mind and did a lot of reading, a lot of contemplating, and I think I needed that in order to understand that I also needed to seek experiences of the heart. Hello and welcome to the Word for Women podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with CJ Monzik. Welcome to the show, CJ. It's so good to have you. Hi, Christina. Thank you. And it's my pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Dear listeners, CJ Monzik is a principal engineer who works in air separation technology research and holds several patents. He has practiced Peruvian shamanism, is a Reiki master, Kriya Yogi, and a musician. Ever since he was a small child, CJ has been led by a strong desire to know how things work and why they are the way they are. In addition to gaining a Master of Science degree in Ceramic Engineer from the Missouri University of Science and Technology, this curiosity also led CJ to study philosophy, psychology, various world religions, spiritual practices, cosmology, and physics. I'll kick things off today by sharing a quote from an essay titled, The Universe from My Point of View, that CJ wrote in 1998 when he was a student. Some people have come as far as they can in explaining the world around them, and are perhaps waiting for science to answer their questions once and for all. They are reluctant to break the chains of doubt themselves and face the judgment that accompanies fate. I believe that the universe was created with an inherent barrier to full understanding, and that therefore it all comes down to faith in the end. CJ, 24 years after writing this essay, do you still stand by this quote? Um, No, not entirely, because at the time I wrote that, I did not allow for the possibility that the divine could be experienced. I was thinking only in terms of objective evidence. And since that time, I've had numerous subjective experiences along with my wife and many close friends of mine and those have built what i now know as faith and the way i used the word faith back then was to refer to what i would now call belief so i distinguish between belief and faith like this belief is what you choose to think without experience while faith is what you build through experience That's wonderful and such a beautiful distinction. Um, I'm sure you've made our listeners very curious about the subjective experiences you've had. Um, And perhaps you can walk us through them while also giving us um, a sense of how all the many different hats that you're wearing, both scientific and spiritual, came to be. Can you walk us through that? Well, certainly I started out what I would call as fairly non-spiritual. I mean, I was just immersed in the material world. I was very interested in science. As you mentioned, I was always very curious. And even when I was like three or four years old, my mom tells me that I used to question everything. Like I would always say, who made that rule? And one day on TV, apparently they said that the average child asks 300 questions a day. And I said, mom, is that true? (laughs) So I think it was this innate curiosity that ended up leading me through my life, but certainly started out, you know, I was interested in math and science, well, more science than math. I think of math as like a necessary evil tool that I have to use. But science has always been very interesting to me because I want to know what's going on. You know, 
especially at the level of things that we can't even see. And that's what led me into material science. I wanted to understand what's going on at the level of atoms and molecules, what makes uh, one material different from another and how they interact with each other. So through school, I got interested in ceramic engineering, which combines a lot of areas of interest to me. I got to play with chemistry. I got to play with some mechanical engineering. Uh, certainly get to incorporate uh, lab work. I really like getting in the lab and doing testing and uh, get to do you know, electronics with different measurement equipment. And then I get to do data analysis, which is where I get to incorporate mathematics, statistics, and all this stuff comes together in that field. And now since then, since obtaining a degree in degrees in ceramic engineering, I now get to apply it in many other areas, not just in ceramics. But what happened was uh, at about the age of 18, I came across some books like uh, by Herman Hess, Siddhartha, and Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Reading those really piqued that curiosity and got me interested in exploring what other possibilities are out there, uh, especially with respect to you know, creation itself. So I was raised Catholic, but it didn't really work for me. Like I could never accept the belief system and I didn't find myself practicing it per se, but I wanted to explore on my own. And I started looking at especially some of the Eastern religions. And over time, I started also looking at some of the uh, Native American traditions or you know traditions from the Native Americas. As you mentioned, I, I ended up uh, exploring Peruvian shamanism and Reiki. And what I was doing was I was trying to have some experience. I was looking for evidence. And over time, you know, slowly, slowly practicing meditation like Kriya Yoga and other types of meditation, you know, these experiences came. And I'm sure we'll talk about those some more. Well, certainly. When you were pursuing the spiritual roles um, coming from your scientific background, was there ever a fear? Were you ever afraid to pursue them? Were you ever afraid people judged your choice, for example? Yes, I was. And um, that has diminished over time to the extent that now I really don't even think about it. But I did worry that it might cause people that I work with to not consider me to be trustworthy, you know, scientifically speaking. I thought maybe that it would hurt my career chances or something along those lines. So yeah, that was just a limiting belief that I held in my mind. And over time, that that belief has dissolved, and I no longer have that. I'm glad to hear that. Um, to people listening who might be contemplating a similar path, um, but they are in that stage of being afraid how they're perceived, what would you advise them to do in, in practical terms? Is there something they can do? Yes, I would say that it's good to just take small steps at first and observe what happens. That's what I did. So I started off just telling a few people a little bit of information. And I realized that people didn't really care 
about me as much as I thought they did. That's just our self-centered view of the world. We think that everyone's always thinking about us and talking about us, and that's just the way that our mind works. It just thinks of everything in terms of how it affects us. So by experimenting with it, like a scientist would, I found that people were actually quite open and accepting of it. And so little by little, I became more and more comfortable with sharing more information with more people. That's great. And I love your experimental approach to this. Um, and as listeners will find out, because I had a little bit of preview, but CJ approaches uh, many things in life experimentally. But before we get there, um, let's go into spiritual experiences that you've had, um, as you've already, already mentioned them. Um, a couple of times and I want um, I would love to ask you about one of them in particular um, in which as you described you were revealed the true nature of reality uh, tell us about that experience I'm sure listeners would love to hear it well first of all I have to say it's very difficult to describe the experience um, it's not even an experience that I had with the mind I feel that it was an experience that occurred through the heart. And we can talk more about that later too. But back to the point, the experience itself consisted of um, experiencing something that my mind cannot explain, that is impossible by the laws of physics. And it just made my mind stop and kind of like my jaw dropped open. And my thought process was something like, there's no way, <laughs> like this can't be happening. But I experienced just light pouring out of a living person. And this light just struck me, like it gave me instant knowing that the same light that I was seeing with my eyes, because they were wide open, <laughs> that that same light is also within me, with everyone, within everyone else, within everything. And I experienced that the nature of that light was just pure love. So at that level of reality, which is what I call the highest truth, all of creation is one because it's all made out of this same love, this same divine consciousness. It's just that it's like wearing all of these masks and pretending to be separate and pretending to be something um, unique and different, which of course is also true. A lot of things in spirituality tend to sound like uh, contradictions or like it can't be possible for both to be true. But uh, the interesting thing about truth is that it's often so. Now, so in this case, I, I experienced that everything that we perceive as being separate and apart from us is actually a part of us at some, at some deep, deep level. Would you categorize this as, because I've heard the term used of direct revelation, would, would you categorize your experience as direct revelation? Or would you say, or would you use a different term for it, if any? I, I suppose, I suppose it would fit under that category, yeah, because it came from the divine and it was very direct. Uh, it, it was, it's hard to say that I saw it or I felt it or I thought it, it was just an instant knowing through and through and there was no questioning it. Just like 
when you see something and, and, and you can touch it and you can feel it and you can smell it and you know it's there, it was that real. And you talked about this light that was emanating from a living person. Can you tell us more about that? Where were you uh, when you had the spiritual experience? And was it planned? Was it spontaneous? How did it occur? Well, it was planned, but there's also no guarantees that any one particular person is going to have the same experience. There were other people that went through the same process, and they had some of them had very similar experiences or almost identical and others had almost no experience or something different. So, you know, we're entering into the subjective nature now of experience that this state that I was in at the time, which was due to all of my past experiences and preparations, led me to that moment in time to have that experience, at least for it to be possible. Because I give all the credit to my friend, Maitreya Dadashriji. He's the one who gave me that divine grace. He's the one who gave me the experience. And it occurred at his ashram in India, where I love to visit. And uh, our listeners who have listened to the previous episodes will be familiar with Maitreya Dharashriji, um, as we had Dr. Kriti Nanda, who, um, who told us about him and his work and the research work um, that has gone into the spiritual process um, developed by him so uh dear listeners that that is also another very interesting podcast episode to to go into um cj why do you think different people have this experience in different ways what do you think ultimately makes the difference um the mind so it all has to do with the limiting beliefs the limiting um experiences that we've had and how they impact us so they they leave impressions in our consciousness and sometimes even in our bodies the different layers that comprise what we call us and some of these aren't yet known to science but uh, they can leave behind different kinds of blockages which affect the way energies flow and ultimately i think it comes down to whether our hearts are able to receive. So the mind can certainly get in the way and wants to drive the boat and can block the heart from ever having that access or having access to the heart. So the divine is always offering the grace to everyone. And it's a receiving game. It's not about some people are more worthy and, and the divine is giving more to them. It's just about our ability to be in that state to receive completely. You talk about the difference between the understanding at the mind and the heart level. Um, I know this is probably very difficult to capture into words, but if 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 I may ask maybe um, an attempt at it, how would you explain the difference between the two, um, the mind and the heart understanding and what do you see as the role of each? Uh, because I feel so often we are very well trained um, to understand with our mind, but perhaps not so much with the heart. So could could you share with us a little bit on that? Sure. Well, the mind is very good at solving problems. But when it comes to guidance, the mind leaves us with uncertainty. So 
it starts creating many options for us. And then we figure, we try to uh, choose between them. So we have option A, option B, option C, et cetera. And the mind tries to compare them, evaluate them in order to make a decision about which way to go. But the mind really wasn't meant to guide us. So I like to think of uh, trying to make the mind my friend and rather than using it to create blockages, trying to let the heart provide the guidance. So our hearts, you know, they won't operate a car to get us where we want to go. For that, we have to use our mind, but our hearts will help us decide which destination will be best for us at the time. And I started my journey from the mind and did a lot of reading, a lot of contemplating, and I think I needed that in order to understand that I also needed to seek experiences of the heart. Your mind led you to your heart. That's beautiful. It's the longest journey, but it's only 18 inches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a wonderful saying. Um, I would like to go back to your um, spiritual experience because you talked about this idea of light, of the the highest truth the highest reality and i know from our previous conversations we we also talk quite extensively about love as being part of this ultimate reality that really stood out to me because in spiritual communities we we often hear that phrase love and light and i found it really intriguing that both of them featured in your experience and i was wondering if we could leverage your scientific background and ask you, how would you say that love and light relate from a scientific perspective? Yeah, it's hard to talk about them in the way that I experienced them scientifically. So I would say that love and light I experienced were purely uh, subjective experiences, whereas science tends to concern itself only with the objective. What I experienced, I think, core reality and is currently unknowable to science as, you know, this is not the light that we talk about in science. This isn't photons. Uh, it's a more fundamental type of energy, which underlies all of matter and energy as we know it, all of that which can be scientifically perceived. And this energy is known in the East. It's called as Shakti in the Sanskrit language. And this energy I perceived as light, I would analogously say it's like the fabric out of which everything in creation is fashioned. And by this analogy, the thread out of which this fabric is woven could be said to be love. And of course, that love also cannot be scientifically measured. Tell us more about Shakti. Uh, Shakti is a, considered to be a feminine energy. And it is also kind of like a power. There's no uh, one word translation for it into English, but it is that which drives everything, which powers everything, gives everything motion and causes things to change. And so it, it like supports everything, it holds it up. It's almost like you could consider that, you know, there's a layer below the physical which is supported by the Shakti. And beneath that, at the very bottom, would be the love. Do you think we'll ever come to understand 
Shakti or love um, or, you know, the, these these very direct experiences that you've had from a scientific lens, do you think it it's it's unknowable or that we're not we're just not there yet? I, I do think that we may one day be able to detect or measure Shakti. Um, as far as love, that one's, I think, even more difficult to imagine that we would be able to measure it somehow. But these subjective experiences, I, I feel they really are available for everyone who wants to put in some effort to seek them out. And experience for themselves. So there is a sense in which, you know, we could have a large enough uh, sampling of individuals who are seeking this experience, and some percentage of them will have the experience, and then we could compare their experiences, and we could attempt to use some kind of scientific process for that. But ultimately, not being purely objective, it doesn't typically fall under the purview of what we would call scientific research. On one of the previous episodes with Dr. Adam Rizvi, we did talk um, about how Western science should give more credence to subjective experiences and incorporate um, them more. And I feel you're raising a very similar point. So thank you for that. Um, of course, I am biased, <laughs> but I, I really do agree. Um, and for people who do want to, to have these experiences or similar experiences for themselves, um, are there any pitfalls that, in your view, they should be aware of? Well, yeah, so I took, as you have mentioned, a scientific approach to it in that I experimented in order to acquire data. But the data did not come right away. So I would say, don't give up. It took me years of daily practice before I had one such experience I was seeking. I would also advise against attempting to raise the spiritual energy called Shakti contained along the spine, and it's usually referred to as Kundalini, unless you have the grace and guidance of an awakened master. And these uh, mystical experiences are not really required. In fact, attachment to them can hinder our spiritual growth. So, what is required is that we seek to become better versions of ourselves. We need to transform to become more loving and understanding of others. That is the need of the hour. And now is the time to bond with our inner divine, to bond with any form of the divine that we feel naturally connected to. And that is what Maitreya Dada Sriji is here to help us do. He just wants to be our friend and help us to develop this bond with the divine whatever form we choose. And that leads me to another important point that I'd like to make. You do not need to do it all by yourself. So I consider this another pitfall that I had fallen into myself. The divine is waiting there to help. I received immense help in the form of grace from Maitreya Dada Sriji, and I would not have had these experiences on my own. One who is already in that state of consciousness is able to help others experience it. And that is exactly what happened to me. He was able to give me a taste of what it is like. He is a transformation specialist. And if you want to transform, then it makes sense to seek the help of someone who knows the way 
and can help you get there through the use of grace. And there's nothing that grace cannot do in my experience. So why wouldn't you accept grace in your life? Why wouldn't you accept help? I think that's a beautiful message. And my mind is urging to ask you, CJ, what is grace? Grace is the way the divine functions in our lives. So that is something which is very mysterious to our minds, but it's like divine intervention, really. And there's a certain portion of our lives that are actually being influenced by grace. You know, we have free will, of course, but I've come to understand that there's also this component of like uh, just pure, um, this is caused by pure love of the divine for us, where the divine helps us along. And it's like the divine reaches down and pulls us up to a higher level. Something that you previously shared with me um, is that since the age of 18, you were on a quest to find evidence of a creator. Um, would you say that the evidence you found was congruent with the understanding of reality that you derived from direct spiritual experience? Um, and if so, what are some examples of the scientific evidence you found? Well, I would say that the evidence I found is congruent. Um, the evidence suggested to me that the universe has these kind of tuned constants or relationships between different parameters that seem just right for the conditions needed for us to even be here to observe it. So, for example, according to Stephen Hawking, who most people have heard of, he's a renowned physicist, if the electric charges of the fundamental particles composing matter, such as the electron, if they were just slightly different, then either stars wouldn't be able to burn hydrogen and helium, or they would not have eventually exploded in you know, like supernova or nova once they have depleted those elements. And that's necessary for the formation of planets and all of the heavier elements and including carbon and things that we are made out of. Another thing is the magnitude of the fundamental forces. So if the strength of the strong nuclear force, and that governs the most fundamental particles, such as protons and neutrons, it holds them together and governs how they interact. If that were different by even a few percent, then the deuterium, which is just one proton, one neutron, and one electron, so it's a version of hydrogen. If that would not be stable, then either protons would be capable of sticking together or deuterium stars could not create energy through nuclear fusion. And if protons stuck together, they would end up forming helium. So there would be no deuterium to power stars and liquid water could not exist. Even more astounding is the delicate balance between the electromagnetic force and gravitation. So the electromagnetic force is what attracts uh, positive charges to negative charges. And as Brandon Carter has calculated, if the force of gravitation were altered by one part in 10 to the 40th power, one with 40 zeros after it, then all stars would either be what are known as blue giants or red dwarfs. 
so stars like our sun could not exist. And it's believed that the conditions for life could not be met on a celestial body orbiting a blue giant or a red dwarf based on their gravitational effect and the rate at which they radiate energy. Now, if the initial rate of expansion of the universe just one second after the Big Bang had differed by even one part in 100,000 million million, that's one with 17 zeros, then the entire universe would either have recollapsed upon itself due, that, due to the influence of gravity, or it would have expanded so much that it would just consist of a diffuse gas cloud now. Now, of course, these findings alone do not prove the existence of a creator by any means, but they do seem to point to one. And some other things that I feel were really congruent with my experience is uh, string theory posits that everything is made of the same basic stuff at the most fundamental level. And this seems to relate to my experience of the nature of reality where everything is made of the same stuff, love. And there's one more thing I'd like to point out. Uh, quantum entanglement is the name given to the phenomenon in which particles are observed to be somehow connected to one another once they have interacted. And I think this relates to my experience of everything being connected. But my experience went beyond that in that it was not just merely being connected, it's that everything is actually one at the deepest level. Life is contingent on very specific parameters is what I hear. And the differences are so small that I'm not even sure that our minds can fully comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> you listed a lot of zeros in there. Um, and um, I I love your mention of quantum entanglement, considering that the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics went to work in quantum entanglement. So um Hopefully, we we will get a lot of advancement on that front, and you know it will help uncover more about the nature of our reality. Hopefully, within our lifetimes. <laughs> um, and something that I wanted, something that I like that you specified is that the fact that we, our universe has the exact conditions required for life does not necessarily prove a god, but it is congruent with the existence of a god. Um, and I, I find that to be an important distinction. Um, so thank you for pointing that out. And something that it brings to mind um, is that uh, some cosmologists, um, perhaps in an attempt to get rid of God altogether, um, are arguing uh, for this idea of multiverses. So of our universe with its constant being one of many, if not infinite universes and we just so happen to observe it because the conditions were ripe for this type of life, at least. Um, how? What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel that affects your view on life? Do you feel that eliminates the possibility of a god or not? What do you think? Um, it doesn't really affect my views. And I also don't think that it uh, precludes the possibility of a creator. It's certainly possible that a creator decided to create many versions and variations of what we call our universe, perhaps in order to hit upon just the right set, or maybe because those differences uh, add something to all of creation. You know, just like diversity adds something to a corporation or a group of people that are working together. 
So I don't see them as being mutually exclusive. I love how you you bring up this idea of iterations. You know, it's it, it's interesting because a failure, you know, failing and trying again and improving on things is is a very human thing to do. And if we are indeed made in the image of God, who's to say <laughs> that's not the way God works as well? CJ, at this point in your life, um, would you say that you have sufficient evidence to believe in a creator or God? Well, um, going back to my previous discussion about the word believe, I would say that it's beyond belief for me now. It is a knowing. It's an unshakable faith. What is the divine to you now? Uh, to me, the divine is everything. The divine in the form of Maitreya Dadashriji has become my best friend. The divine is within me. It's within everyone and everything, and we're all one. So for me, that's why I say the divine is everything. CJ, one of the concepts that um, we, we discussed, but we haven't yet touched on in this interview, we discussed in private, was that of divine love. And I think that's something our listeners would really love hearing more about. So tell us about divine love. Well, here I would like to talk about my own experience of divine love because I feel that's really the best that I can do. I mean, I can talk about it theoretically, but I feel that my experience is somehow more valuable, at least to me. So for me, when I experienced divine love, you know, it was so far beyond any love that I had felt in my life. You know, I am a son, a brother, a father, a husband a friend. And in all of these roles, these relationships, I've experienced love. But this divine love was so far beyond that. And it just felt like I was like my heart was pressing against my rib cage, like it was trying to expand out and explode. Like there was, it was just pouring out of me. I couldn't contain all of the love that I felt like was being poured into me. And so it was just running out in the form of tears of joy. And uh, it left me with just a feeling of completeness. Like that moment was complete in itself. There was nothing that I wanted or needed. So there were no thoughts going on in my mind. Uh, there was no desire left. It's like uh, the song by the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. I felt the truth of that statement so deeply because there was no hunger. Uh, there was no need to try to say anything to anyone or to ask any questions, to hear anything, to go anywhere else. That place, that time was just perfect as it was. Like everything was perfect just as it was. And it left me with such a deep feeling of peace that I just wish everyone could experience it because it was the most beautiful experience of my life. And it's actually happened to me more than once, which further builds that faith and helps my mind to accept that this is a real experience. Even though the mind was just kind of watching, like standing back and observing, it wasn't able to completely comprehend what was going on mm. but it just became still because there was nothing left for it to do 
I have to say, uh, right before you mentioned that the mind didn't quite know what to make of this experience, um, what my mind was telling me was, oh my God, that is so scary. That's a complete lack of control. I don't understand it. My heart was happy. but There, the was, mind no, there was no fear whatsoever, I assure you. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. And while, while we're on the topic of the mind and heart, you know, I... I think a lot of us lean quite heavily on our minds. Like you said in the beginning of your journey as well, that your mind eventually led you to your heart, but you were leaning more on your mind in the early stages of your journey. And something that I I want to say I feel, which is ironic <laughs> because it's about the mind, but that I feel at present is that my mind is not quite happy. It's not content with the understandings of the heart. There are things you can only understand with the heart, um, such as love. Um, and, you know, my mind is happy with that particular one, but there are other things, you know, such as, you know, certain direct spiritual experience. My mind says, yeah, I know the heart gets it. I know it sounds good to the heart, but that's somehow not good enough for me. And I was wondering if you have any ways that the intelligence of the heart can be explained to the mind or that you, we can bring the mind on board a little bit more, um, have it not pushed that hard against our experiences. So as I said, the mind cannot really understand the experiences of the heart. But after my experience of that truth, the one that I referred to as the highest truth, my mind was just stuck like it was in a state of shock, but in a good way. My mind was just in awe of the experience. And it just kept repeating the same phrase over and over like a broken record for the until I went to sleep that night. But that experience only came after my mind had been prepared. So if the mind is not prepared first and is very actively questioning and trying to understand, then it doesn't allow the heart to experience. So the mind needs to be prepared first so that it has its questions addressed and it can be in a more relaxed state. There are also energetic components to this as the Shakti energy that I mentioned needs to be able to move freely within our body. So blockages within us need to be dissolved. And these blockages are created by the mind as we live our lives. And all of this happened with the grace and guidance of Maitreya Dadashriji. And I've witnessed that the intelligence of the heart is unlimited and vastly superior to the intelligence of the mind. But it is not so easy for most people to utilize the intelligence of the heart because we have allowed our minds to control our lives. So for the mind's understanding, the heart is the seat of the divine within us. And when we have that bond with our divine, we can access that intelligence of the divine, which again, is everything in creation. So there's nothing that it can't tell us. That sounds very tempting even to the mind, I have to say. So I think you found a way <laughs> to bring the mind <laughs> on board as well. Um, and I want to ask you because... I don't think that I've personally had a spiritual experience that I was, they, they were impactful, but I wouldn't say they were as impactful on my life um, as the one you have described. And it's very difficult to compare having that understanding of the nature of reality, you know, I never quite had anything like that. Um, 
but I did find my mind doubting them sometimes. Did that also happen to you? Yes, it did. But that's just the way the mind works. So after the experience, my mind tried to find ways to explain it away. But try as it might, it, it failed. I could not explain what I had experienced through what I know as the laws of physics. Um, and then, you know, such things like my experience of divine love came again. And so that further just broke down the ideas that my mind was trying to create as far as, oh, it didn't really happen, or it was just a trick, or, you know, something like that. <laughs> so I think, you know, that faith is what I'm talking about, that gets built through our experiences. I was about to ask, what kind of explanations did your mind make up? What was the most far-fetched one? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, everything from the idea that I was hypnotized somehow to, um, you know, that I was drugged without my knowledge, who knows? But I know all of these things weren't true. And it's it was just really grasping at straws to try to come up with some explanation which made it easier uh, to just let go of. Mm. And the mind can be incredibly creative. However, at this point in your spiritual journey, um, you have um, mentioned to me previously that you do not seek answers anymore. So tell us, what do you mean by that? Well, I found all of the answers I was looking for. I learned that I couldn't get them from books. I mean, I found the information I was looking for in certain books, but I, I couldn't know if it was actually true or not. It was not until I experienced it that it became my personal truth. And with the grace of Maitreya Sriji, I experienced pure, unconditional divine love and the experience of the highest truth I spoke of, in which I knew that everything is one at that most fundamental level. And the experience of divine love was just complete in itself. There was just nothing more to seek or to want in that moment. Everything was perfect just as it was. So I, I just feel like what else is there to seek? Once you've reached this state where everything is perfect, you just want to stay in that state. I just want to you know experience that again. And I want to help other people experience it. Something that I haven't asked you, but I would love to take the chance to ask you now. Um, the very first books that you mentioned that set you on your spiritual path, how did how how did you come across them? I don't really know. I mean, how did these things happen? I feel like somehow the divine was operating in the background and and making it happen. But it's been many years now, and it's hard for me to remember you know, 25, 30 years ago, what it was exactly that led to that book landing into my hands and why it even looked interesting enough for me to open. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't know, especially with uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hess. I just have no recollection of why I started reading that book. But then I think after that book, I got more interested in the whole idea of spirituality. So then when I came across Autobiography of a Yogi, you know, just the title alone was intriguing to me. So that I remember coming across that book and wanting to read it right away just from the title. But I really think that uh, there's things that we call coincidences in our life 
which are actually the divine operating and leading us to things that we're ready for. Have you had any other uh, coincidences like oh, that? So many. I don't even know where to begin. And I now see them as grace operating in my life. And I've learned that when you are willing to acknowledge that grace, it actually brings more grace into your life. If you discount it as coincidence, you are shutting the door on grace. You're not completely cutting it out of your life, but you're saying no to it. I found that in my personal experience as well. So CJ, um, for anyone who's curious to learn more about everything that you shared today, um, be it scientific, spiritual, at their intersection, um, could you recommend some resources for our listeners? Sure. For the scientific information, they could read A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking or The Accidental Universe by Paul Davies. Those are very good resources that go into a lot of the, um, the facts that, that I was sharing. And for more spiritual information, uh, I would recommend some videos on YouTube with Maitreya Dada Shriji on the Maitre Bode part of our YouTube channel. Hopefully we can put the spelling of that somewhere in the podcast because it, these are Sanskrit words that most English speakers aren't familiar with. We will indeed put everything uh, in the show description. So if you're listening to this, you can find all the links that CJ is mentioning in the episode description. What I would love to ask you now, um, and it's it's something I like to get input from, from every podcast guest. Um, if we imagine that it's 50 years from now, what advancements do you hope that will make in understanding the nature of reality? I hope that we'll learn to somehow measure spiritual energy or Shakti, which moves within our bodies, that I think would give us the realization that we are more than we thought we were. And we could detect the chakras as they're known or the energy centers where the energy tends to come together in a more uh, dense locale. And a lot of traditions work with that, including some that are on opposite sides of the world, like the Peruvian shamanism that I was trained in, mm. and on all the way over to India. And then you have uh, the Chinese working it with uh, similar systems of interconnected uh, channels or, or uh, like threads that the energy is flowing along. The other thing that I would really love is for us to understand more about how we can derive energy without polluting the environment. So a deeper understanding of the way matter and energy are working and how we can harness that cleanly for our benefit and for the benefit of the planet, which of course in turn is for our benefit. <laughs> that is so important and timely. Um, I found it really interesting that you mentioned that different um, spiritual traditions around the world work with the same type of energy, um, considering that we <laughs> we haven't had a fast means of communication, you know, forever, but these traditions go back way longer than we've had the internet or phone or, you know, <laughs> um, uh, potentially an explanation for how they could have been transmitted. Do you have any any thoughts on that? 
Do you think this understanding emerged separately at different geographical points? Do you think there was some sort of cross-pollination of knowledge? What do you think happened there? I think it was both. Um, for example, the, the American traditions, they really came out of Siberia. And we still see that there are shamans in, in Siberia practicing the same things that came across the, uh, the land bridge that formed between Alaska and, and Russia and came all the way down through the Americas and, and now leaves footprints as you know, the Native American traditions and all the way down into South America, which in, would include the Peruvian shamanism. But then you have what's going on on the other side of the world, where you have you know, India and China and some of these other really old civilizations that have their own understandings and their own systems which have now been inculcated into various religions like Buddhism and Hinduism. And I don't even know what all the different names of the isms are in China, but <laughs> they're, they're all so very similar when you study them. And CJ, if you could be remembered for just one thing, what would you like that one thing to be? Well, even though, you know, I have these... Uh, things that I've done through my career, and I have these patents and inventions, some of which support life or save lives, I would say it's none of that. For me, it would be serving others without wanting anything in return, and in some cases, helping them on their spiritual journeys, though I try to serve others in whatever way they want. So I don't share spiritual teachings with someone who's hungry. With them, I would share food. That's beautiful. And even though you mentioned uh, your patents are not the number one thing you'd like to be remembered for, I do want to, to commend you for your contribution to humanity via them. And I'm very curious to hear, um, did any of your spiritual understanding contribute to any of your patents? That is a very interesting question. Um, I would say my spiritual state did contribute to some of my patents. Uh, one in particular that I'm thinking of is a very complex problem that I had in ceramic engineering. And I was working on all of these different recipes, combining all these different kinds of polymers, plastics, in, and chemicals together in various ways, along with ceramic powder. I was trying to figure out a way to make it uh, capable of being injection molded, which many people are familiar with. That's how we get many of the plastic shapes that we have. But we were trying to use the plastic as a way to carry the ceramic powder. And then we wanted to remove the plastic and just leave the ceramic in that particular shape. Anyway, it was very challenging to form this this particular geometry. And we had a lot of problems. And I was working on it for about two years, trying three recipes a day, every day. And I was having this insurmountable problem and I didn't know what to do. And it was like after a really hot August and it was the first cool evening that we had. And I was just standing out on the back porch, just enjoying nature listening to the trees rustling in the cool breeze and just feeling like so happy, felt so comfortable. I was just enjoying the beauty of nature. And out of nowhere, the solution just came in my head. 
I wasn't trying to think about it. And I actually had to go and look up what it meant, like to really understand how it could be the solution. So I felt like that was given to me. And I can think of many such interesting examples through history, like the invention of the uh, telephone, I believe. You know, we, we tend to attribute it to Alexander Graham Bell, but I believe there was also an Italian man who thought of it at the same time, and they basically raced to the patent office, and it was whoever got there first. So it seems like there's this realm of ideas, which was talked about by Plato all the way back in history, and that these ideas somehow can exist outside of us, and that we can perceive them, we can connect with them, and when we're in the right state. Um, so yeah, there have been times where I felt like an idea was given to me because I was ready to receive it. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. And I think it's such, it's a new angle to how spirituality and science can be blended by, a, you know, effectively being presented with the solution when you're in a state to receive it. And right before you gave the examples, I was about to say you're in very good company because I believe Einstein as well had um, had an experience like this. Um, and I always found it intriguing, all these stories of two different people rushing to the patent office, <laughs> speaking of you know, technological advancements, um, because it, it it occurred in such close time proximity, you know, and sure, there are some arguments that, well, you know, science, you know, it collectively advances up to a certain point, and then the next in, 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 innovative step is the next logical step, so it's just a matter of, you know, basically who gets there or to the patent office first, but I had somehow never, even with my mind, I was like, I'm not sure I completely buy that. There does seem to be more to the story. And this this, this world of ideas, archetypes that Plato was uh, suggesting. So thank you so much for sharing that, CJ. I think um, I'm very intrigued by 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 these stories. And I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you've had that experience as well. Um, I will continue on the topic of one things. Um, so for our listeners... Um, today if they were to walk away with just one thing from everything that you shared what would you like that one thing to be i would like it to be now is the time to work on becoming a better version of yourselves and develop your bond with the divine in whatever form seems most natural for you beautiful and is there any anything that i haven't asked you but you wish to share? Well, I'd like to talk about the program that gave me those experiences that I've shared. It's a free spiritual program called Bode that will help dissolve your blockages and awaken your inner divine, which really helps you on your spiritual journey. It is offered by Maitre Bode Parvar through the maitrebode.org website. We also have a US one, maitrebodeus.org. And divine help and grace is now available through a specially blessed image called Divine Light, which you can see next to me. It's also free, freely available through Major Road Parvar, and it spreads peace and positivity, offers protection, and even helps your prayers be heard. 
And for our listeners interested in learning more, in addition to the links um, in the episode description, you can um, also check out the episode with Dr. Kriti Nanda, who talked more about BOD. I also shared my personal experience in BOD 1, so that's a good episode to go to if you would like to learn more about this, as well as the links um, that CJ uh, is sharing with us. Um, CJ, and as for my last question, where can our listeners find you? Well, I now conduct spiritual sessions for Maitre Bode Parvar, so listeners can attend any of those sessions, and I may or may not be the one conducting the session that day, but they can also reach out to me uh, through my email, which is cjmunzik at yahoo.com. Thank you so much, CJ, and thank you so much for all, not just the knowledge, but all the wisdom that you shared with us, and thank you for sharing with us your, your personal experiences. Um, I am sure that our listeners are very appreciative of what they learned from you. And with that, this was CJ Monzik. Thank you again so, so much. It was so great to have you on the show. Thank you, Christina. I love what you're doing. Please keep it up. And I hope your listeners enjoy all of your episodes. <laughs>